Well, everybody, welcome back to uh, one of the most exciting episodes of the year. This is Craig Lauer, your uh, host uh, for this month's Peds Ortho podcast. I'm coming to you live from a conference room on the very exclusive gold level where we are. Julia, can you tell us a little bit about how we ended up here? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I forgot to book a hotel room. So here we are because this is all that the Fairmont had left. So for all of you who uh, also forgot to book your hotel rooms, I hope you ended up uh, in a good situation as well. Uh, So they took pity on her down at the front desk, and uh, sometimes karma works out. So here we are, uh, and that was, of course, Julia Sanders from Children's Hospital of Colorado. And who else do we have here with us? This is Carter Clement from Children's Hospital of New Orleans. In beautiful uptown New Orleans, but today we are in Vancouver. It is very exciting to be back. I am thrilled to be at this meeting live with all of our colleagues. Uh, As you can tell, I'm a little bit uh, hyped up on all the social interactions today and seeing all of our close friends. So uh, we are sorry to all our listeners who can't be there. Um, But for those of you who are here and listening to this for nostalgia, just know how excited we are to uh, see you all. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do for this month's episode. So we are catching up with all of the moderators from the sessions following their session to get their highlights, their future directions and their thoughts on the most impactful papers in their session. So we hope that you'll all find that useful at home. And uh, it's certainly been fun so far on the ones that we have recorded. Um, Julia, what are you maybe most looking forward to for the meeting or what's been your favorite part so far? Yeah, I think just seeing everybody in person again is just fantastic after after a big break. But um, I think I was just struck by walking into the uh, conference center today of just seeing everybody uh, in such a big room um, out there listening to some really great papers, really from a, a wide variety. Um, and it just reminds me how awesome our society is and how everybody's interested in all the general pediatric stuff plus a, a variety of all the subspecialty stuff. So really great to hear kind of the breaking uh, news from, from each of the subspecialties specialties and all the leaders in the field. And Carter, what are you most looking forward to? What's been your favorite part so far? So Vancouver has been beautiful. The conference center has been beautiful. As always, all of the positive members and presenters are saying incredibly smart things, learning a lot already on day one, but mostly just good to catch up with people. We've been uh, out of uh, out of meetings for way too long, so it's really good to be back. Perfect. So um, I think we're set up for a really great meeting. I hope that uh, you all really enjoy our coverage of it this year. And I do want to make a special note about a change that you all will notice with the podcast. So starting with this episode, we are going to be having sponsors for each episode. And the funding for that will go to POSNA, not to your host directly. So unfortunately, that means we will not have any uh, new biases for you, uh, just our old ones. Um, But this funding will help support POSNA's missions, research, education, clinical care, Essentially, it's going to make your dollar as members go further um, because you are, uh, by listening to these episodes, um, getting other people to buy into and sponsor uh, those missions. So um, continue listening. We really appreciate all that you've done, and we're hoping this will be a very good thing for POSNA. And I want to give a special shout out uh, this episode for Nemours Hospitals, and there will be an interview with Carter and their chief, uh, Will McKenzie, uh, coming up later in the episode. Thank you. All right, I am here. This is Craig Lauer. Uh, I'm here with Julie Samora, who was leading our pre-course this morning, the POSNA annual meeting. So, Julie, thanks for being here. Privilege. Do you want to introduce yourself and where you're from? Sure. Julie Samora. I'm a pediatric hand surgeon at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. 
Fantastic. So thanks for joining. Thanks for the great session. Carter and I got the drop in a little bit. Um, what were some of the big takeaways that you want to let our listeners at home be aware of? You know, I think we had a rich discussion on a lot of various topics within the diversity, equity, and inclusion realm. We had some pretty amazing speakers. I would like to highlight a few of those if we have time. I would love that. Perfect. So uh, really, I'm actually going to go through a lot of the program because I think every talk was actually quite eye-opening. And um, I, I imagine that most people left the meeting this morning with at least a few new pearls of knowledge and maybe even action items on their own individual journeys in this in this area. So starting us off, Monica Payeres Lozano really gave us the status of orthopedic diversity. Um, and as we all know that we still remain the least diverse specialty in all of medicine. Um, and then moving on from there, Selena Poon talked about really our implicit biases and understanding that we, we all have them. And that's the first step in our journey is to really understand where we come from with our implicit biases. And once you recognize that you have them, you can actually work to um, combat them. And then Aaliyah Farrow is an MD, MPH student at Harvard. She's graduating in a couple of weeks, and she is a very fierce advocate for the LGBTQ community. Uh, she is a member, and she discussed on really how to be an ally. And some of the pearls she gave were to think about using the correct pronouns and to really identifying who someone is. Um, also, things we can do in medicines, we can we can wear pins or lanyards that demonstrate that we are we are an inclusive provider. Um, and having signage at our institutions, maybe with a rainbow or demonstrating that you're an ally is very important. Moving on from there, Colleen Sabatini gave an excellent talk, really distinguish, distinguishing between equity and equality. And they're, they're really two different things. And for most of the folks in the audience, I think there was uh, at least some learning that happened here in that if we treat all of our patients exactly the same, we are not gonna have the same outcomes. So understanding that for some patients, they might need uh, a ride to the clinic. They might need an appointment time that's not in our normal hours. They might need help um, getting some therapy. And so really understanding that equitable care is not the same as equality. A really fantastic talk by Jason Brooks was discussing stereotype threat. And I think from, from a standpoint of someone that lives in a very privileged world being a Caucasian female, it was really important to hear from an African-American male some of the stereotype threats he has witnessed and also um, just recognizing that, that all of us come from various stereotype um, positions and so a lot of us try to combat what those are. He gave really great examples of, of studies that have been demonstrated that, um, that really under, that explain how stereotype threat can affect your overall achievements and successes. From there, David Frallinger gave a really nice talk on how we do have disparities in access and poor health status in our non-majority populations. And then Corinna Franklin gave a great talk on how the LGBTQ community really does not have the same health care as the cis-gendered um, heterosexual patient population. Like you said, you have to be aware of these issues and you have to be able to put kind of a name to them before we can address them. And so um, I always learn a lot in those sessions. And then I think the next thing we want to talk about was where do we go from here? And um, your last session talked a lot about that. What are, what are your highlights from that session? Yeah, so I would say that uh, we had some really great uh, speakers. So Lisa Latanza's chair at Yale, uh, Sukhan Shah, Daniel Sakato, 
Jack Flynn, um, Min Coker, all really sort of talked about how as a leader you can influence your teams, you can influence your trainees, you can really positively impact the culture. And so it really is a top-down approach, um, but we need a grassroots approach as well. So it's really a, a, a dual direction. Um, and so some of the things from a, a leadership standpoint, uh, Dr. Coker really talked about some of the steps Posen has been um, taking to, to move the ball. We are the most diverse subspecialty, but we still are the best of the worst, really, is, is, <laughs> is, is really the is where we are. And so um, trying to figure out how to move that needle. And if we don't move the needle, there's a really nice study out of JAMA that says that we'll, we'll still be um, where we are now for 200 years. So it'll take us 200 years to actually reach the, the patient population in the United States to reflect in our orthopedic uh, world. So just really gave great bullet points on how to move the needle. That's great. Thank you. So challenge for all the orthopedists out there who are listening. Um, be aware of the challenges and do your best to support diversity and inclusion in Peds Orthopedics. Thank you for the session. It was great. And thanks for the interview. Yeah, thank you. We are back on the air with uh, Peds Ortho here at the annual meeting. We just finished the Wednesday afternoon scientific session, the first session. I'm here with the moderators, Drs. Kevin Shea and Christine Ho, and I will let them tell you what the session was on and what they thought were the most exciting parts. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great parts, you know, three great papers on enhanced recovery after surgery. This has been in the adult literature for quite some time and it's wonderful to see those applications. I think the telemedicine thing was remarkable because we're all being forced to think differently, different models of care, uh, and you know, COVID forced us to think differently and now we've got telemedicine skills and so I think we can use it to optimize a lot of care. And, and I think Pablo's work and the rest of the group's work on hip evaluation, the importance of ultrasound, in particular the point of care, I've, I've used those small devices and they're, they're kind of a game changer for my practice. And, so I think there's just a lot of great papers here. So I really do love moderating this QSVI session because, you know, there's really something for everybody. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge of things that encompass a lot of pediatric orthopedics. Um, you know, and I don't have to be a spine surgeon to appreciate and understand how an enhanced pathway can improve patient outcomes, care, length of stay. I don't have to be a hip surgeon to appreciate that having a baby hippie program can improve your rate of ultrasound for patients who have increased risk uh, after a breech birth, you know, increased risk of DDH. I mean, so I think that the overall it was just a really great group of papers. There was a lot of really good discussion between, and it was just nice to see everybody back together on the mic, and we had a really yeah. good combination of e-moderation questions as well as mic questions. Yeah, great engagement, I, and I think the uh, probably the one that maybe uh, was most Stimulating for me was the one on implicit bias by Purva Shah, really something I wouldn't necessarily have expected, thinking that our community is fairly diverse and fairly, I'd like to think, less subject to bias, uh, but clearly that's not the case. So great learning opportunity for all of us. So a big call out on that paper really changed the way I thought about this. Yeah, I think both that and the paper on having a dedicated care coordinator to prove, improve access for p patients with fractures in California, you know, really tied in with this morning. You know, we talk about implicit bias, and again, you know, I've taken those tests. It's been a while, but I was like, I didn't think I was very racist, but well, maybe I'm a little more racist than I thought I was after taking this. It's very eye-opening, and I think the 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 what we need to recognize is we all have those biases, and it shouldn't be paralyzing. But you just need to be aware of that, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person, you know. And um, one question that uh, came through the e-moderator uh, that did not really quite make it to the mic was almost a rhetorical question uh, asking about the inability to get care. Would that 
situation that happens in LA, would, how would that situation play out in Canada? Mm. And rhetorically, it probably wouldn't. Yep, probably wouldn't. You know, another comment maybe about the implicit bias papers, um, we all think of coaching as a very valuable part of our lives at some stage, and, and perhaps when we were younger, we thought getting a coach to be a great soccer player or as a resident to be a good surgeon. Um, I think the implicit bias surveys and education is, a, to me, another way of becoming a better person, a better surgeon. You get coaching on, you're not very good at this. You're okay at this, you're not so good at that. And implicit bias work will probably be a, a coaching approach. You know, Atul Gawande talks about we should get coaches for the rest of our life as long as we're practicing as surgeons. And implicit bias training is a, probably a form of coaching we would all get great benefits from and become better people, better surgeons if we would just take the opportunity to be open to the coaching. I think that is uh, everything I had and more. We heard a lot of great papers, screening baby hips, uh, using pathways for adolescent hips, PAOs, using a team for uh, scoliosis, looking for implicit bias in our decision making, and, uh, and much more. So uh, check, out the, check out the program and the online material. Thanks. Thanks, for having me. Thank so this is Julia Sanders, one of your uh, podcast co-hosts, and I'm here today with the two moderators from our second QSVI session this afternoon on Wednesday at the annual meeting. So you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Okay, it's Michelle Caird from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Ryan Mucko from Lexington, Kentucky. Great, and we're happy to have you guys today. This was a super interesting session because, um, as Michelle said, there were so many different topics. So it's going to be kind of hard to tie it all together, but I would say... What is uh, one or two things you heard today that may change your practice or change the way you counsel patients? Great. So we had um, uh, in the the first six papers um, were about QSVI, and um, and I think there were a couple of really great takeaways. Um, the first is um, a, around um, a, a device that allows um, non-invasive testing of hemoglobin levels after um, uh, procedures. And um, they were able to show that um, it, it could be a really helpful test um, as a sort of a pretest to find out who might need to have um, an actual blood draw. And there was a lot of patient satisfaction with that. Um, just to tie it into the, um, the, the pre-course today regarding um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they did point out that similar to um, pulse oximetry, that it was a little harder to get those measurements in um, in darker skinned patients. And so um, it does point out that we still need to keep working on that. Absolutely, Ryan? Uh, yeah, so the sessions of uh, infection and tumor uh, were pretty cool. The in infection takeaway for me was that uh, we oftentimes as uh, orthopedic surgeons get handed the situation of a culture, meaning blood culture negative um, uh, MSK infection that we need to obtain a biopsy for, and whether that's a surgical biopsy, a IR-driven biopsy, uh, or whether it's needed at all and we just treat empiric antibiotics. And so we heard a couple really nice papers that uh, told us that um, in that situation of blood culture negative, you have a really high success rate uh, with an open or uh, an IR-related biopsy. Specifically, the IR was over 80% in that scenario that you'd get a, a, a diagnosis a bacteria to treat so that was pretty cool I think that the next steps with that seems like what 
what is the best option, both from a cost and a patient-centered approach in terms of having the extra procedure with a, a, a biopsy versus just treating all these uh, kiddos empirically? Um, and what are the pros and cons to that situation? So that may be where further research is headed. Absolutely, and I totally agree with you. I think we all need to learn how to wrangle our interventional radiologists as well as they seem to have done in that, uh, that paper. So. That's great. I'd love to highlight another finding that we um, that came out of this group. Um, there, there's a unique study where they looked at um, uh, pediatric wrist, elbow, and forearm fractures, and they uh, they have they're looking into where's the best place to do the the final reduction for that. And um, in some circumstances, they have found that. Um, a, a freestanding ambulatory surgery center might be uh, might actually decrease wait times and under certain circumstances might really um, help patient uh, patient care and satisfaction so um, so some really great things to think about there as well and then uh, from the tumor world a really cool paper talking about um, how the effects of surgery uh, on five-year survival in uh, rotation plasty versus endoprosthetic uh, usage in uh, bone sarcomas. And so uh, really early data, or at least uh, small numbers still limiting the final results, but 100% uh, uh, five-year survival rate in those kiddos that got rotation plasty compared to uh, the 37.5% that received endoprosthesis. Something to look into more, and if that's a real trend or just a statistical anomaly for right now, uh, pretty cool things there. Absolutely. Well, thank you to the moderators for doing such a great session. Um, that really, really neat to have everybody back in person and appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome back, everyone. This is Craig Lauer for the Peds Ortho Podcast. I am joined here today with two very special guests, uh, some representatives from the POPs organization, and I'm actually going to let them introduce themselves. Hello. I'm Stephanie Diager, the current president of POPs. And I'm Tracy Warhoover, the current president-elect of POPs. And I want to thank you guys for joining me. Uh, I think my goals, I want to hear a little bit about uh, POPs and what this organization is for maybe our listeners who aren't familiar. And then tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing here in Vancouver at the national meeting. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having us. You know, POP stands for the Pediatric Orthopedic Practitioner Society. So truly what we are is we are the APPs that support the pediatric orthopedic surgeons involved in POSNO. It's a great group. It gives us an opportunity to network with other peers, um, discuss um, treatments, and as well as have educational opportunities together. It's nice to be um, here to have a conference. Um, it's the day before POSNO begins, which is nice. So we come in a day early, have all of our sessions, and then we still have time to go and, and enjoy POSNO as well. As the president-elect of the POPs organization, I was the co-chair of the um, POPs conference at Vancouver. And this year's conference, we had a wide variety of topics, including vertebral body tethering in the treatment of uh, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. We talked about um, suture bridge fixation of osteochondral fractures um, and OCD lesions. We had three amazing um, panel discussions, which included a uh, comparison of scope of practice of APPs in Canada versus the United States. Mm. Um, the other panel was a fracture panel, where we discussed um, interesting fracture um, like cases and treatment modalities. And our third panel was a morbidity mortality panel. We also have a presence at IPOS and are currently in the process of planning 
the IPAS conference where there are breakout sessions with uh, POPs. Yep, for the APPs as well, and we hope to see APPs there as well. It's awesome to hear about all the great things you're doing. Um, and obviously, Tracy, I have seen you hard at work planning this meeting uh, back home at Vanderbilt. Um, so thank you guys for all your efforts. And yeah, a brief shout out to, uh, to the listeners who are out there who have APPs, who maybe want to get more involved in the National Society and research and um, let them know that there are opportunities out here. Do you guys want to tell us a little bit about the preview for next year when we're coming home to Nashville? Yeah, well, so first of all, it's super easy if you have APPs that want to be involved. If you go to www.pops.org, it'll take you to our brand new revamped website that's exceptionally user-friendly, and you can register and join the organization right there. Tracy, what about next year? We have a number of topics that have already been discussed that we are we plan on implementing in the program. A number of panels, such as Fracture Panel, I think we will bring back to the conference itinerary as long as, as well as clubfoot casting. And more hands-on things, I yes, think, as well. Yes, that is oh, the direction we are headed. And we have a goal that we have approached uh, POSNA. We would like to implement potentially additional um, Education sessions time. on, we're looking at Wednesday as an option. Yeah. During, Just to expand. During, that's yes. great. Awesome. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks for joining Thank today. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, awesome. All right, and now we are going to take a little break from the content to hear from our sponsor. Again, thank you to Nemours for sponsoring POSNA. Their sponsorship, uh, even though they're sponsoring this episode, goes directly to POSNA, not to the podcast, so it will not change any of the content of this show except for the next minute while we hear from them. So uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Will McKenzie, the chair of the Peds Ortho Department at Nemours, and uh, here is what we talked about. Dr. McKenzie, thank you again for joining us. I would love to hear, I think our audience would love to hear, what makes Nemours Orthopedics special in your mind? Nemours is a very special place. Most patients comment on how kind and friendly the environment is. They are very, very surprised by true multidisciplinary care with multiple physicians in the same clinic trying to determine what will help their children the most. With all this time and experience behind you, what are you most proud of about your hospital and or your practice? Well, I am very proud of my career. I think I've been improving the lives of children from around the world with skeletal dysplasia. But stewarding, cultivating, and revitalizing an orthopedic legacy has been very exciting. This is a culmination of recruiting excellent pediatric orthopedic surgeons and allowing them to grow and develop. All right, this is Craig Lauer here with the Peds Ortho Podcast. I am here with our moderators from the Spine Subspecialty Day session, and uh, I'm going to let them give a brief overview of what they talked about today and some highlights for you guys back at home. And go ahead and introduce yourselves. Excellent. I am Michelle Wellborn. Um, I was the co-chair today, and uh, in the first half of this session, we really t spent a lot of time talking about uh, the ethics of innovation. We talked about where we've been, where we're going, and how to get there responsibly. We talked about you know, how there is an obligation for us as surgeons, for patients, and for industry, and how we can all be a part of making this better. And we talked about ways that we can advance uh, in a safe uh, fashion. So, 
uh, Craig Eberson, on the other chair of this uh, session. Again, an excellent session. Uh, really, in the second half, we focused a lot more on the sagittal plane uh, and its importance. We all know it's important, but I, I think for my own personal viewpoint, uh, I'm going to be looking at my preoperative lateral x-rays a lot more carefully with, with a sense of both pelvic parameters and where I start and stop and how to avoid some of these junctional problems that we're seeing. Really a fascinating talk. The other things that we got out of the session, the papers were tremendous. Really learned that some of our outcomes are not as robust or not as great as we maybe thought they were. And when treating kids specifically with EOS or even with idiopathic scoliosis, we may not be achieving the effects on pulmonary function and quality of life that we really feel that are important. And so moving forward, clearly a lot of work needs to be done on that. And I think that might be a springboard towards our next session. That is perfect. Thank you guys so much for your efforts this morning for moderating kind of a marathon session. And uh, also thank you for recording this twice due to our technical <laughs> mess ups. <laughs> All right, take care guys. Well, we are back on the air. We just finished the subspecialty day sessions and uh, we are gonna talk about what happened at the hand session. So I will um, let you introduce yourself, tell us about the session and tell us what was your favorite thing you heard during the session? Hi, this is Suzanne Steinman um, as the co-chair, co-moderator for the hand session with Josh Abzug. And the theme of our session was what I wish I knew then that I know now. So we had a fantastic expert panel as well as brought in our entire audience because we had an audience of experts as well. Um, the things that we learned is that there will never be a good answer for radial longitudinal dysplasia. That will always be a hot topic. Um, but also just getting into some of the the finer pearls and details of basic things like trigger thumb. Uh, so it's just a really good all-around session for just learning those pearls, things that you wish you knew then. Um, I think we all had a lot of fun and lively conversation. Can you tell us any of your favorite pearls either that you took away or that, that new attending should be taking away? I think just the biggest thing is there's honestly no true one right way for many of these um, congenital differences and just making sure that you're staying up on literature and talking to your mentors, um, seeing what other ideas are out there is all what's going to make you have the best practice that you can. And how about the triggers? What can I do to stay out of trouble with the triggers? Don't force them to stretch and splint. You'll just make them straight and they won't bend. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much and uh, congrats on a great session. Right, thank you. All right, this is Julia Sanders again coming to you from the live meeting uh, subspecialty day. And I'm here uh, with Clayne White and Megan Young, who moderated the lower extremity session. So guys, tell us a little bit about uh, your favorite parts of the session this morning. Hi, this is uh, Megan Young. I thought overall we had a fantastic session, a lot of great research papers, um, some good work coming out of our gate lab, looking at how we can improve the overall mechanics for torsional correction particularly more so for internal tibial torsion than patients with external tibial torsion, which we all agree may be more related to body habitus and some other uh, factors. Uh, and as well as our gate lab looking at knee height asymmetry, which is a really important question that a lot of us who do leg lengthening surgery or epiphysiodesis surgery uh, need this data to be able to counsel our patients. Uh, the questions I think moving forward in the future are uh, what is going to be the long-term outcomes, which patients uh, really deserve to be derotated, um, and, and who we are impacting in the future. And if there is residual knee height asymmetry that is affecting a normal gait, um, which of those patients are going to be developing uh, osteoarthritis. And along those lines, we had a lot of great discussions about guided growth, when to use it, um, 
when the plates break, who are the best candidates for it, particularly pertaining to uh, Blount's disease. And we had a stellar um, panel reviewing lots of cases from early onset Blount disease to adolescent Blount disease. Uh, and again, um, some great questions brought up are certainly guided growth is the easier uh, way out or the easier solution, but sometimes the osteotomy in Dr. Johnston's words might be the one and done procedure in these cases. Uh, we all know that Blount's is the gift that keeps on giving and we've got a lot of things to consider when treating these patients um, and managing them uh, and again our long-term questions are um, who can we uh, who can we save um, and uh, what is most going to impact their health in the future is it their their body habitus their weight uh, and their overall health or is it us correcting their realignment so uh, really knowing um, what our impact is going to be fantastic yeah d definitely some great stuff dr. white oh. yeah so for the earlier section of our half day we spent a lot of time talking about unique aspects of guided growth. And I think one of the more important aspects that came out of the discussion was um, Noelle Larson's paper on um, reestablishing growth, normal growth parameters uh, based on the Green-Anderson charts. And what she found was that children now um, grow faster and, they, and, and so they grow more in the end. And so we may need to, in the future, reconsider how we uh, decide when to intervene, um, at what age, and how long we can intervene for uh, before um, you know, they meet, meet skeletal maturity. Um, so I thought that th there's still a lot of questions left there. The other aspect that came out this morning that was not so much guided growth related, but I think, a lot, again, a lot of discussion without answers was the role of some of these uh, uh, magnetic growth implants and the development of um, osteolysis around that and, and uh, the release of chromium ions and so forth. And, um, so some of these products have been pulled from the market for now, and I think there was a, a pretty healthy debate about whether it was actually really important or not, because um, the, the, the implants seem to work very well. We just uh, don't know what the long-term effects are gonna be, and being pediatric you know, physicians and doctors, um, I think we, we, we are obligated to at least consider that and be, and be aware of that issue. That's perfect. Thank you guys so much. It was a great session. Lots of really diverse topics and very exciting. So thanks again and uh, have a great rest of the meeting. Thank you. Thank you guys. Welcome back everyone. This is Craig Lauer for the Pease Ortho Podcast. I'm here at the annual meeting uh, live with two of our moderators from the recent Neuromuscular Subspecialty Day. And uh, it's uh, Ben Shore and Jill Larson and I'll let them uh, tell a little bit more about the highlights and the future directions from today's session. Thanks Craig. Um, yeah, today was a great session. We uh, primarily focused on cerebral palsy and the management of SMA hips. It was a, a very dynamic session uh, with some research presentations and some expert opinion. And uh, Jill ran a, a great session of uh, pro and con, point, counterpoint, which was excellent. Right. Uh, yeah, we had some excellent uh, discussion and really phenomenal group participation. We were impressed with the turnout and all the comments. And the papers were also outstanding. And we had some experts also present on um, Mission Impossible by Dr. McCarthy and Dr. Novacek uh, presented on his uh, expert uh, experience with SDR. So all in all, I think it was a really well-rounded session with some great talks and really good audience participation. 
Can I can I ask each of you just for a? It's really hard to boil it down to a single point, but one salient point that is either, if not going to change your practice when you go home from this, but at least maybe make you think about something a little bit differently that maybe you hadn't thought of or fully considered before. Sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna do two points. Um, the first point I think. Uh, is uh, we really tried to hone down on the indications for guided growth of the proximal femur for CP. So I think in my hands now that's going to be a kid who's between four and six years of age with a rapidly progressing migration percentage between 25 and probably 45 percent. So I think I took away that from listening to our experts debate, John Davids and Vanita Swaroop. And then I think the other point that was maybe a little more kind of humbling that was hidden in the undertones of Amanda Whitaker's review of what are the top neuromuscular papers for the last year was that the mortality rate for GMFCS level four and five kids undergoing surgery is between 10 and 15%, which is shocking. And so it's going to make me think a little bit more about my recommendations for some of my sicker kids for reconstruction surgery. Yeah, for me, I think, you know, what will change about my practice um, is twofold. One, I think in SMA, uh, we really need um, early intervention on the hips, um, but we don't know who those patients are yet. And so even though I am pro uh, hip reconstruction in the SMA patients, I'm reconsidering uh, some of the patients that actually may not need it. And I think then future directions as to um, what are those indications is still needed. And then the second is the need for a classification system in SMA. I think we've identified that it's not totally CP and with the um, onset of disease modifying agents, the trajectory and prognosis for the condition is um, ever changing. And so while we might not have a classification system today, it's certainly something that we should work on uh, for the future. There's some great challenges and I am uh, glad we have some very smart people in our muscular looking into those. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you. This is Carter Coleman again. We are back on the air after the subspecialty day sessions. I'm here with the co-moderators from the hip session. That is Dr. Scott Rosenfeld from Texas Children's and Dr. Jonathan Schinnaker from Vanderbilt. I am re-recording this because the first time I hideously screwed up not only Dr. Rosenfeld's name but also his institution. So uh, we're back now with uh, take two of Amateur Hour. And with that, let me hand it over to these guys to talk about their, uh, their session. Gentlemen, what were your favorite parts of the session? What were the big takeaways that the audience can hear? Uh, there were many. Um, I think that at the end, working backwards, I thought what was really neat is how much everybody's thinking three-dimensionally, especially rotationally. Um, there was so much discussion both in terms of the acetabular aspect of dysplasia, how it's really a rotational abnormality, but then also really getting down into the femur and talking about how those two play a big role and whether or not to correct both of them, which one do you correct first. Um, and this is all the way from the baby hips all the way up to adult dysplasia and then even more so obviously with uh, skiffy. So that was a central theme that at most of the hip sessions, to be honest, I don't think that we've heard it nearly as much as it came out today. And probably when I, th I thought personally my talk that I liked, I, I liked them all. They were all wonderful. You can't choose between your children. However, uh, I thought that Jeff Neppel and... Um, Dr. Grote from Kansas City and Jeff Neppel did this really, really cool um, modeling of femurs and defining whether or not with antiversion is the cora above or below the lesser, essentially. 
and their results were fascinating. Very mixed in um, acetabular dysplasia. Well, I won't say acetabular. In young adult dysplasia, it was very mixed. Whereas what was surprising to me is in retroversion, especially with Skiffy, it was actually below the lesser, which really goes along to tell you that that is a spectrum of disease. Is, is that you know you get this retroversion of the femur below the lesser leading up to a skiffy up top and so the entire bone is twisted and so it really gives you pause in terms of thinking well where am I going to go if I do correct this it's the entire bone so I thought overall that was one of the more fascinating themes throughout that just is not doesn't normally come up at these hip discussions yeah, I agree. Um, Back to I, Rosenstein. <laughs> Scott Rosenfeld from Texas Children's <laughs> yeah, Hospital so here. We're in Houston, by the way. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I thought it, I was very pleased with the way it went. I mean, the way John and I set this up is that we wanted the theme to be, you know, um, topics that we have questions about in our own practice as we go through caring for hip issues and it turns out that apparently other people have these questions as well and so so the discussion was was excellent um, so I was really happy with the way that went I thought there, there were a couple papers that were really helpful for me uh, Gaia Georgopoulos presented a paper about using a combination of ultrasound and x-ray measurements at the six-month mark to be able to predict residual dysplasia at age two and that's something that in clinic all the time I'm thinking about is is you know specifically if I've got this kid that's at six months and they're you know they're a little bit borderline should I brace them for the next couple of years or not and so I think something like this may be helpful for me in making that decision going forward um, and then the other one that I like that I think is really important that we really don't understand very well yet depression scores anxiety and depression scores uh, preoperative anxiety and depression scores in patients undergoing PAO and, and how that had effect on their outcomes and that, you know, if they had higher anxiety and depression pre-op, they ended up with lower um, outcome. And I think that's something that we're just really, that we, we probably see regularly in our clinic. Yeah. We're not, we don't have the tools to really understand how to deal with it um, and we're really starting to learn about it and need to understand it better. So those are the two that I thought were really very interesting. That was perfect answers. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you. It is so cool. This is Julia Sanders, one of your uh, podcast co-hosts today, and I'm here with the moderator of our foot subspecialty day session, uh, Dr. Maurice Bouchard. Um, so tell me, Maurice, uh, what do you think the highlights uh, or kind of overall um, most exceptional thing that you had this morning? So uh, I think the most well-received part was we did our kind of guest speakers panel on very rare congenital uh, foot issues at like ectrodactyly, macrodactyly, halix varus, and polydactyly. Things where we have very, very small series. There's not a lot published. So it spurred some amazing discussion from the audience, um, from the panelists. Um, collaborative research ideas came out of it, publications. So it was actually like a nice little think tank, which was awesome. That's great. Not always, yeah, it makes uh, these meetings worthwhile to come together and come up with some really nice ideas. Anything today that you think will change your practice that came out of that session? Um, Yeah, we we were chatting about um, the use of uh, 
chemotherapeutic drugs for overgrowth syndromes and macrodactyly. And um, we do sometimes offer them or I send them to, to Hemonc, but we, um, we don't have any routine protocols. And it was quite clear that there's more and more evidence coming that adjuvant chemotherapy actually with a lot of these um, overgrowth syndromes is probably going to be the future. So um, yeah, I think a few centers, we're going to start collecting cases and prospectively looking at them. So that'll be something I look at a lot more closely. Very cool. Yeah. Well, cutting-edge research coming to you from uh, the POSNA annual meeting. Thank you, Dr. Burchard. Thank you. This is Craig Lauer back with uh, our uh, annual meeting coverage for the Peds Ortho podcast. I am joined with our moderators from the Trauma Subspecialty Day, and uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us about uh, the highlights from the session today and what they're taking away. I'm Jamie Denning from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And uh, Keith Baldwin from uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, and I would like to highlight my personal favorite part of this morning's session was having a panel of two adult and two pediatric-specific trauma specialists discussing adult-like trauma. Um, I don't have any particular thing that I'm going to change in my practice based upon those discussions, but some of it was validating that some of the pediatric-specific treatments that we do are adequate and not considered uh, okay by the adult traumatologists. Yeah, and I think uh, I think some of the things that um, got a lot of uh, uh, sort of screen time was uh, or proximal humerus fractures got a lot of screen time. Um, and I think the, um, the results of those studies were just more confirmatory to what we had thought before. Like we, we showed a, uh, you know, a couple of case examples of them uh, when they were fixed. And then uh, Dr. Hosinzada uh, presented um, preliminary results of his um, uh, prospective study uh, with like very pretty displaced uh, proximal humerus fractures doing the same or better non-operatively than they did um, operatively. And so at CHOP, we're, we're, uh, we, we fix a lot of the you know, proximal humerus fractures, and I might think twice now about fixing some of the ones, seeing how that um, prospective study is going. It's still, the power is pretty low on it, but um, I think the direction that it's heading is definitely favoring uh, you know, non-operative treatment. Um, and you know there were some you know there were you know other highlights too uh, in terms of you know um, there was a lot of discussion around uh, plates plates versus nails for both bone form fractures and some of the uh, older kids definitely um, doing better with um, plate fix you know open reduction and plate fixation than with um, um, uh, Nancy nails as opposed um, in terms of like complications and that sort of thing uh, so I think it was uh, you know there. There was a lot of things I think that were uh, very helpful. Um, we, we heard about the lead better technique, which I think is a very, um, is a really old technique. Um, you know, it came out in the 30s, but um, it's started to gain traction again in terms of skiffies. It used to be used to treat femoral neck fractures and now um, unstable slips, which I think um, is something everybody sees. Uh, and the lead better technique is something anybody can do. It's not something that needs like you know, um, you know, specific hip fellowship. And I think. Um, you know, it seems to be working out great. Uh, so we look forward to future results of that. I, I will say that the first time I heard about the Leadbetter technique, it changed my practice. Um, and then we had two excellent debates on uh, operative versus non-operative treatment of Salter-Harris II distal tibia fractures and Montasia uh, ulnar length stable fractures. Uh, and I will say that uh, I don't know that it will change my practice significantly because I still treat a lot of the Salter-Harris II distal tibia fractures non-operatively, um, but it was certainly um, reinforced, um, the literature reinforced what I'm already doing. 
This is Craig again. Thank you guys for those insights. Um, just for the audience at home, um, I was in the last part where you polled to see who is treating length stable ulna fractures and montagias with surgery or not. And we would recap what, what predominated, what was the choice of the room for that? Uh, there seemed to be a predominance of uh, non-operative treatment. And then what about Salter Harris 2 tibia? Oh, oh, hold on. Uh, we want to make yeah, a yeah. comment. You... Yeah, yeah, no, I will, I will say that um, it, there was, a, uh, there was a minority of people that treated them operatively, but a lot of those included um, hand specialists who treat a lot of like late missed ones. Yeah. So I think that is a little bit telling. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 definitely, I definitely consider treating them non-operatively, but uh, you know, I think if you're worried about follow-up and that sort of thing, I think it's still a reasonable choice to fix them given the minimal fixation. Yes. And what was the consensus on, uh, on displaced Salter Harris II of the distal tibia? So it uh, seemed fairly strongly in favor of non-operative treatment as long as the close reduction got to within three or four millimeters of displacement. Wonderful recap. Thank you guys for your time. Strong work this morning. Thank, Thank you. you. And that is the end of our recorded sessions from the first two days of the POSNA annual meeting. I hope you all found it enjoyable. We loved putting this together. It was such a blast to meet with all the moderators and to kind of do this on the fly. And we will continue our coverage next week when we release part two, which will include the award sessions, concurrent sessions, and some of the final symposia from Saturday. So stay tuned and thank you all again for your support of the podcast. Please send any and all feedback to pedsorthopodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tweet uh, me or Carter as always. Uh, I'm at Craig Lauer and he is at Carter Clement MD. Thank you. Just for show. show, yes. Uh, but it looks good, right? Just yeah. It's yeah. like literally not connected to anything. Oh, it's literally just, not connected to anything. Get cracked. Right. Just for show, just <laughs> like just like my week. We thought we were smart enough to get two mics working. It turns out we're not. I'm like, what is behind the curtain? Nothing. Nothing. All right. This is the the mic. We'll just sort of pass it back. Yeah, about a foot distance. Okay. Foot and a half for you, John. All right, we are back on the air. This is Carter again, and uh, we have just finished up the hip subspecialty session, and I'm here with the moderators. We've got Dr. Jonathan Schinnecker from Vanderbilt and Dr. Rosenstein from Texas. Oh, Rosenfeld. Rosenfeld. Keep that going. Can you keep that going? The very first, the very first time that like Scott and I really interacted, this is that I got up there and tried to give him a compliment, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie, movie Fletch. Yeah. Yes. Dr. Dr. Rosen, Rosen, Dr. Rosenstein, Dr. Rosen, Dr. Uh, I can't say, can you? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, did, you did not say that. Our, our editing the podium. software is actually broken. I think you called so. me Rosenstein. I did, I uh -huh. called you Rosenstein. And then I walked up and, and, and said, thanks, Dr. Shanker. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. That is really Dr. Funny. Scott Rosenfeld from TS, from, <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ, oh my Texas Children's in Houston. <laughs>